And we are going to continue today. Last week, we talked about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And we talked about what will the Lord provide. And the answer to that question is he provides everything to us, everything to us. And so in that, he has called us to sit at his feet, to bask in his glory and his love and just let him pour out everything that he needs for us, that he will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And we talked about how our needs are so much more than just financial, right? And how if we only look at Jehovah Jireh, our provider, from a financial standpoint, we are missing the whole point of it because there's so much more to our life than just our money. So you can go back if you missed that and look on our website and watch it. It's there. But what I also want to say today is, yes, we are missing the mark. If we only think about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide in terms of money. But here's the thing. Money plays a huge role in our lives. It plays a huge role. It a lot of times dictates what we do, who we hang out with, what we buy. And, and, and here's the crazy thing. And I, I, this is crazy, and it's a little sad to me as well, that money can actually dictate and affect our relationship with the Lord. And so as a church, we are going to talk about money today. I'm going to say this. We don't talk about money every week, but when we do, we're unapologetic about it. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like mince words today because money, it's so important. It's so important that we have a godly understanding of money in our lives. And I believe in my hope today is that this is not a time where you feel condemned or, or guilty or like we're trying to manipulate you in some way. My hope and my prayer today is that you are set free this morning and have a godly understanding of what money and how it plays a role in our life, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we are going to jump into John chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So what he's saying here is like, this amount of money is about a year's worth of, of wages. And so Philip is saying, look, if I had a year's worth of wages, we would not be able to even give everyone just a bite of bread. There's too many people here. But Jesus is asking them to test him. Verse 80 says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him in verse 9, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? I just want to pause real quick. This has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but I just think it's so funny that in the New King James Version, suddenly Andrew has become Irish. Have y'all noticed that? He's like, all of a sudden there's this lad here. Oh, Jesus, there's a lad here with some food. Can we bring him to you? They're in the Middle East. Where did that come from? I was really like, why is he Irish? So I had to highlight that. That's the only reason that's highlighted. Jesus, we've got some, I just, went, I just got Scottish, I think. I'd never have read that. Everything's been a boy, like a lad? That's so weird. Sorry, that's my brain. Welcome to it. It's a scary place. Pray for Jesse, please. There is a lad here. Picture the little thing, you know. Who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. That's just the men, by the way. That's not the women and children count. So we're looking more about ten to 15,000 people. Verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, 
I love that. He gives thanks. He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack in these nine verses that we're reading here. We're going to look at four points. Briefly, we're just going to kind of march through these four points that I want to pick out that I saw in this. We could, we could study this next week and have five other points, and then the next week have four or five other points. This is a deep message. In the, and what I love about this, this story, there's no sermon here, if you notice. The sermon is the action of Jesus. It's the miracle of Jesus and the people around him. That is so cool. Okay, so we're going to look at four points this morning, okay? And the first point that I want to make is that when it comes to money, Jesus always has a plan. Okay, because when we look at Philip and he asks Philip, uh, you know, Philip, what are we going to do? We have all these people and they're going to be hungry. How should we feed him? And then the Bible says that Jesus was saying this to test Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. Look, this has been a hard year for a lot of us. Finances have been incredibly stressful. Some of us have lost our jobs, our flow of income. We're spending money in, way, in areas that we didn't expect. We're losing money in places that we didn't expect. And we have all these questions and all these concerns, and we don't have an answer. Jesus has a plan. He saw these, this multitude of people coming, and I believe as he saw them coming, he didn't see a problem. He saw an opportunity. He's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Before they even sat down. And you notice that no one comes to him and asks the question, what are we going to do, Jesus? He is the one that starts the discussion. He addresses the problem. He sees the problem. And so he goes to the disciples as a way to test them. He always has a plan. So I want to say to you all this morning, right off the bat, if finances for you are a struggle right now. They are keeping you up at night and they are stressing you out and you're looking at your banking, bank account saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's okay because Jesus does. And he has a plan. He always has a plan. Nothing that you are experiencing that has caught you off guard has caught Jesus off guard. He saw the multitude coming. He saw your problems coming. And he has a solution and he has a plan. And a lot of times, it's just like he's doing with Philip here in this story. It's a test. This is a test. That's mean, Jesus. Why would you use money to test us? Because money gets our attention. Money is a great gauge of our heart, right? I'll come to church. I'll sing the songs. I'll go to the Bible, whatever. Oh, you want my money? You have my money, right? All of a sudden, our tone changes a little bit. Even some that are visiting this morning, he's talking about money. It's a gauge of our heart. We, you know, we, we can try and call it something else, but it's the truth. It gauges where we're at. That's why putting your money where your mouth is is a catchphrase, because it's true. And are we willing to put our faith where our money is? Are we willing to put our money where our faith is? In Jesus. He has a plan. He has a plan for where you, at, where you are at. We just have to learn to trust him. You know, this story has been preached hundreds of thousands of times since Jesus, you know, probably more than that, honestly, millions of times since this happened. All the way from VBS to kids' church to youth ministry, 
in every Sunday service from probably every church ever. And, and the focus is always on Jesus multiplying this fish and these, and these loaves of bread and how amazing it is. But I think what we really need to examine, not only that, but is the role of the lad, is the role of the boy, because that is who we need to be aspiring to be. Yes, the miracle is what Jesus did, but our role is not what Jesus did. Our role is the boy. All right? The boy is, 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 is who we need to look at and examine. And, and this is why. Because when the boy came to Jesus and said, here's my lunch, check this out. It allowed him to participate in the glory of Jesus. He became a participant in Jesus's glory by giving what he had. He could have gone and said, you know what? Uh-uh. I packed my lunch. I got my PB&J in my, in my juice box and my fruit roll up. I'm good. It's not my fault that no one else brought a lunch. That's poor planning on their part, but my mama took care of me. And so I'm going to eat my lunch and I'm not really going to tell anybody. I'm just going to hide it. And when no one's looking, I'm going to take some bites. And it's everybody else's problem. But he didn't do that. He gave it to Jesus. And check this out. This story is happening in real time when the boy gives his lunch to Jesus. So he didn't know. He had no idea that Jesus was about to feed 5,000 people with this lunch. For all he knew, he was giving this lunch away, and that was it. He was just going to starve until he got home. And then he was going to have to go home and say, I need a snack. And the mom's going, well, where's your lunch? Well, I gave it away. You did what? Go to your room. And he actually gets punished for it. That is a very distinct possibility. He had no idea. But what he did, church, and what we need to learn to do, Father, help me in this, is he gave it to Jesus unconditionally. He said, here is my gift. Do with it what you will. Don't, I'm not going to ask for what you're going to do with it. I'm not going to ask how it affects me. I'm not even going to ask for credit. I'm just going to give this to you and let you do with it what you will. And because he gave unconditionally, he shared in the glory of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder, as this boy left, and how many people he told, you won't believe it, I went and saw Jesus, and I gave him my, and he used it, and he fed 5,000 people, it was awesome! And he's probably telling everybody. And so he got to share in the glory. But you know what else is, is interesting in this story? He doesn't have a name. Because though he was able to participate in the glory, Jesus still got the glory. And we need to understand that as well. When we give to Jesus, it is for his glory and it is not for our own. And a lot of times that's what we want. Jesus, here it is. When does my parade start? When are they going to put my name on the side of the building so I can steal some of your glory? Jesus isn't interested in that. So this boy came, and that boy was able to participate, but it was Jesus who got the glory. And that is what our heart needs to be. When we give to him, we say, God, all glory to you. You do with this what you want. You reach more people than I could ever dream. You give the two, 12 basketfuls. You make this miracle happen, and I'm just going to tell everybody about what you did with my little gift that I gave to you. That should be our heart when we give. Not to steal his glory to participate in his glory. Amen? Come on, y'all awake this morning? All right. I heard you laughing about the lad thing. I'm looking for amens with the other stuff. 
I laugh about Irish jokes, but you talk about taking my money, you don't change my return. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is an awesome one that I never really noticed until reading over this again this week. Third point, Jesus does not waste our tithes and our offerings. When we give to him, he does not waste a penny of it. And we see that here in this story, right? It says, after they were filled. So everybody has gone back for seconds and thirds. I mean, they are full. Listen, they are so full and they had such a good meal that the next day they're trying to chase Jesus down for more food. It's true, read it. In John 6, and he says to them, he says, y'all aren't here for me. You're here for my food. You want to eat again. And he challenges them and convicts them. He said, you just want the return. You're just here for the free food. It was so good that they're going back for more. So they're, they're, they've eaten to their fill. And it says that, he says, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. When we give to Jesus, he wastes none of it. And I want to say this on behalf of Beaches Chapel. We take the tithes and the offerings of Beaches Chapel very seriously. It humbles us every single week that we have people here that give into this ministry, that believe in Beaches Chapel as a whole, and we pray over it, and in our heart's desires to be the best stewards that we can be towards what is given to Beaches Chapel. And that is because that is the model that Jesus has as well. And as we read this, think about this for a second. Jesus could have had all those people fully, he's like, it's okay, just leave it, let people take whatever they want, it's cool. If we need more, if we need more food, I'll just, boom, I'll make it happen, it's no big deal. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, collect everything. We're not going to have any of this be wasted. And so we need to know that when we give to Jesus, because that's who we're giving to, when we give to Jesus our tithes and our offerings, we need to know that he does not waste a penny of it. He sees it all and he uses it all. He doesn't waste anything. And here's the other thing. He always goes above and beyond our expectations. When we give to Jesus, he goes well above and beyond anything we could imagine. There's no way that this boy, in his wildest dreams, this boy would have ever thought when he came up and just kind of, hey, here you go, would have thought that there would be 12 basketfuls of leftovers after everyone had had seconds and thirds. You know, some people there, they're going to eat. You know, when there's free food, people eat. They find new spaces in their stomach to fill, you know. This is no exception. But Jesus goes above and beyond when we give to him. I'm, I'm going to tell you all this story. It's, this, it's just a testimony of the Lord. Jesse and I, we don't, I, we, we don't like spending money, all right? We just don't like it. And, but we have been you know, saving money, putting money aside for like over five years um, and had been trying to buy a minivan, all right? And it was to the point, like we had gone and looked and had, we would talk, bring it up with our impact group he said, hey, can y'all pray? We're starting to look at a car. And they kind of laugh at us. Like, yeah, sure. If you're, you're gonna, you've been talking about this for three years. And we just, were, <laughs> we just never could pull the trigger because it just never seemed right. And then uh, during the time of prayer and fasting that we had back in September, our, our, biggest, our biggest prayer, and the thing we were believing for was our finances. And, you know, it had come time, you know, we had our third kid and we were just crammed. We had outgrown the vehicle that God had blessed us with, but it was an older car. She got it when she graduated high school and I was still driving it around and it was, it was awesome. It worked, AC blue, but it just didn't fit. And we, we literally couldn't fit the whole family in it. And so we prayed and it just felt for the first time like, okay, we have peace about this. 
And so we, you know, <laughs> she started sending me links real quick. This, this van, this van. And uh, so, you know, we continued to pray about it. And then one kind of popped up and it didn't have everything that we had hoped for. But um, we're like, okay, let's go. So she set up an appointment. The whole time I just had this total peace about it, you know. And we get there and she takes it for a test drive. It's going to be her vehicle. I'm with Ellie, our baby girl, because she's asleep in the car. And you don't wake a baby. So I'm with her uh, trying to get her to nap as much as she can. We go into the dealership when she gets back, and I hadn't even looked at the car yet. I saw it in the parking lot part, and that was, the, that was the closest I got to it. And so we go in there, and we're talking, and the whole, you know, whole thing that they do with, oh, let me go check with my boss, and then come back, and let me check with him again, and all that stuff, you know, whole back and forth that's just super fun. And you're wondering back there, like, what are they doing? Are they having, like, a Snickers bar? What's going on? And, and so finally, it's a long story short, we, we, we settle on a price, and we buy this thing. And um, again, just total peace about it. And we, one thing that Jesse really wanted was a DVD player in the car because three kids in a car for a long trip is annoying, all right? They can just be annoying. And we are embracing today's technology, all right? I know back in my day, we stared out the window and we counted trees and dead raccoons. All right, well, we have technology now that allows us to watch movies in a car. So we are embracing that. Thank you, Jesus. And to the point where we, uh, well, I'll, I'll say that later. Um, <laughs> So, but this, this model didn't have it, and it didn't have the DVD player. She said, you know what, it's okay, we'll make it work. It's, it's, it's in our price range. It's got most everything else. And so I was like, all right, if you're cool with it. And so we go out, and, and again, I have, we have the baby with us, and she's like, all right, you're just going to put Ellie in the car and go home, and I'll take the minivan? I was like, well, can I see it first? I still haven't seen the van. And she's like, oh, right, yeah, sure. So they give us the, the keys, and we go, and we're looking at it, and, it's, and, it's, and she's just showing it off to me, super excited. And I'm looking around, I was like, Jess, what's, what's that? And I pointed to the room, and she's like, there's this little square, and she goes, oh, it's a DVD player! <laughs> just starts crying. Because it was like God saw the desires of her heart and went above and beyond what she thought she was getting. I'm going to say this, too. The, the, the listing mileage was 5,000 less than what it was listed for, and it didn't have the DVD player listed on the website as well. So anyone that was looking for a lower mileage and a DVD player never saw this minivan. And I believe, as I'm sure as I'm standing here today, God hid that car for us so that we could have it. Because he exceeds our expectation. And every time we get in it, we're overcome with gratitude because we shouldn't be able to afford it. But God goes above and beyond as we continue to trust him and give him our tithes, give him our money and just say, here it is. He will go above and beyond in your life as well. I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm not special. And I guarantee you there's many of us in here that have the exact same testimony. Raise your hand if you have a testimony like that. Come on, see? It's not just me. It's all of us. When God honors that, and he will go above and beyond. And, and I told her when she started, I was like, I'm going to remember that face for the rest of my life. It was the best feeling ever. And it reminds us every time we get in his faithfulness and how he's like, I got you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm Jehovah Jireh. And I'm going to go above and beyond. And we're going to drive that thing into the dirt. <clears throat> the ultimate lesson from this story, though, is this. Provision is God's responsibility, not ours. Twelve basketfuls were left over. Twelve. Interesting number, right? Twelve disciples. And the message here that Jesus is saying is, look, when you follow me, I got you. All right, I got you. It's not about wearing like a leather tunic or a camel hair tunic with a leather belt, right? And just eating bugs all the time. 
He's saying, I got you. Follow me and I got you. I think that message rang loud and clear with the disciples in that moment. Here's the other thing that we need to understand. When it comes to us and God in regards to money, for him, it is never about the money. It is never about the money when it comes to us and God and money. How do I know that? Think about this for a second. We value gold here a lot on earth, right? Like everyone, the gold jewelry, gold this, gold that. It's, it's something that we can, you know, invest in. It's got a lot of worth. God uses gold as concrete. That is how much he values gold. The streets of heaven are paved in gold. That is his concrete. He doesn't need our money. God's rich. All right, he is richy, rich, rich, rich. And he doesn't need our money. It's not about the money when it comes to us in him because he doesn't need it. What is it about? It's about our heart. It is about our heart. And are we willing to give him the thing that we hold the tightest and say, I trust you with this God. But once we start to do that, a lot happens. But one thing that happens is our trust in him grows and grows and grows. So he's after that. Listen to this verse that, that speaks to this point perfectly clear. Mark 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more. She's given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Jesus is after our heart. She gave more, but she gave, by an earthly terms, way less. Why did she give more? Because it's not about the money. It's not about the money. And here's the thing that we need to consider about this widow. Back in those days, if you were a widow, you had no means of income because women weren't allowed to work. So when the husband died, all income was gone unless you had family to provide for you or maybe the church would give you something. She had no money coming in. It wasn't like she was giving these two coins and her paycheck was tomorrow. She was giving Jesus everything and he saw it. What I want to say to you all this morning is when you give to Jesus, even when you're wondering where in the world am I going to get my next paycheck from? He sees it. He sees you giving it. Just like he saw this woman here, he sees it. He sees it. Do you all hear me on that? He sees it. He does. A lot of times it might not feel like that, but he sees what you are giving to him, and more than anything, it blesses him like crazy. But so if it's not about money, why go after it? Because he wants our heart, but also, like I said to start this morning's sermon, he wants to set us free. And when we start giving to Jesus, when we start giving him our first fruits, that first bit, not looking through the couch cushions of what we might be able to give to him after we've done this, that, and the other, but we say, God, here I am giving to you first. When we do that, it sets us free. It sets us free from a lot of bondages. I want to check this story out. Or before we do that, let me read this verse. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, check this out, and be enslaved to money. Not, 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 not worship money. Enslaved is the word that the Bible says here. 
So he's saying you're either going to serve God or you're going to be enslaved to money. It's powerful words right there. And we think that we have control over our money. And when we feel like that and we're not willing to give it to God, guess what? Our money has control over us. Our stuff has control over us. And he wants to set us free. Listen, there's nothing inherently bad about money or having it until it enslaves us. Until we put it before God. And then it starts to own us. And God's saying, look, if you serve me, it will not enslave you. Check this out, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. I love that. Jesus sees this dude coming a mile away. And like every other instance with Jesus and someone that he talks to, he is getting right to the point. Because you hear this guy, he comes up and he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, well, wait a second. If you're calling me good, only God is good. So he's setting the precedent right there. And what he's saying is, if you're calling me good, right? And God is all that is good. Is God enough for you? Is God's goodness enough for you? He is setting the stage for what is about to transpire. Verse 19, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Then verse 20 comes around. Check this out. Teacher, the man replied, not good anymore. Just teacher. Because now he's starting to understand, okay, this isn't the go going the way that I thought. He said, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Let's not miss that. He loves this guy. He says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Remember, we talked about that one thing last week. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. I want to make this point very clear this morning. When Jesus says there's one thing you haven't done, he's not talking about selling his possessions, okay? When he looks at this man, he's saying there's one thing you haven't done, and that one thing is you haven't followed me. And so in order to do that, he's saying you got to get rid of your stuff. Why? Because all of his possessions have enslaved him, and he's not going to be able to follow Jesus until he gets rid of them. And he sees this guy, and he's entrapped. And we know that by the reaction of him. He goes away sad because he's in prison by his own riches and by his own stuff. And so let's understand what Jesus is doing here. He's not trying to torture the guy. He's trying to set him free. And he's saying, look, if you want to follow me, I see where your heart is. And you're trapped. You need to let those things go. They have enslaved you. And then you can come follow me, but you can't serve two masters. Money enslaves us because it is an endless pursuit of something that we will never have enough of. You know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting to see a billionaire who's retired. You ever notice like they just keep working and working? And I mean, I'm sorry, that's me. I'm like, I'm, I'm putting my feet up. I'm done. I couldn't spend this money even if I wanted to. I'm just going to chill. You see so many, it's like this drug for them because they can't have enough. And so we look at them and say, man, I'd like to have all that money. Look, they're enslaved by it. If you can't stop with a billion dollars, it might look great, but they're in prison by it. 
And we, he might say, well, I'd love to be in prison like that. Be careful. Be careful. Because prison walls are prison walls. And so we chase after this thing that we can't ever get. Because here's the truth. There's always going to be people with more money. There's always going to be someone with a better job. There's always going to be someone with a nicer car. Always, always, always. And yet we try and chase after that to find contentment. But here's the thing. What we're really doing is we're comparing ourselves with other people. And that is a slippery slope. Here's the thing about comparison. It is a trap. Okay? Comparison is a trap. And it will keep us trapped for a very, very long time. The thing about comparison also that it does is it steals our contentment. It steals our contentment. When we try and chase after more and more and more, we're never content. Jesus says, sit at my feet. Just like we talked about last week. Not only will you be content, but I'm going to pour out my riches on you. And listen, like we said already, God's riches far outweigh our own. Remember, He created everything here. How much more is waiting for us in heaven, our permanent home? So we have to be very, very careful what we are serving. Are we like the rich young ruler? Are we like the boy and the widow? I'm going to call the band back up. And we're going to close this morning. And I, want to, I just want to say a couple things in closing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be. Listen, everything here is temporary. The new car smell goes away. The jeans that fit oh so right get stretched out and faded. All right? The shoes go out of fashion, right? All of it is temporary, except what we invest into heaven. And when we, when we invest into the Lord, we are going to participate in his ultimate glory. And I, I want to encourage you all this morning, those online, those in here, consider your finances and how you are giving them to the Lord. And I'm going to say it. If you're not tithing, you need to be. I'm not saying that for my own self-interest or for the interest of Beaches Chapel. Because here's the truth. If no one tithes today, please, Jesus, don't let that happen. If no one tithes today and God wants this place to stay open, it's going to stay open because this is his house. And if everyone tithes a million dollars today and he wants it to close tomorrow, it's going to close because he is the authority here. So I say that because we are called to do so and it will set you free let's start trusting God with our finances and allow his plan and his purpose for him to start taking action and bearing fruit listen you can go to the best financial advisor in the world but if you never do what they say you're never going to see any sort of difference or return and God's saying invest in me and I will be your Jehovah Jireh I will provide it has been determined. And be set free this morning. Be set free this morning. Get with your spouse today, if you're not, and be in agreement. Be in unity. 
make a plan on what you're supposed to do and be committed to it. Be committed to it. No matter what that week might hold, set aside that little bit and, 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 and be determined that I am going to give this to the Lord and just wait and see how he blesses you. Wait and see how he sets you free. Wait and see this new part of a relationship that you will have with him as you let go and give it to God what he does. And I promise you that he will go above and beyond and not just financially, but in your heart as well. Because again, this is a heart issue. He wants to set you free. He wants to show off for you. And there's nothing better. There is, it's so awesome when you see God move on your behalf and your finances. It is the mo one of the most faith-inspiring and faith-growing things that you can do. It shows how much he cares. It shows that he's got you. It shows that he's, he sees you and he's involved in the little things and he hears your prayers. So make it a priority. Make it the number one priority with your money to give it to the Lord first and watch as he shows off. Let's stand up. And what I want to do now is we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our tithes this morning. We're going to pray for our offerings. But I want to read this verse too because it's very important. It's 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. It says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in responses to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Don't do this because we had a sermon today on money. And you feel guilty for this week. That won't last. And that's not what we're interested in here. We're not trying to guilt anybody into anything. The Lord says that God loves a cheerful giver. So let's give cheerfully. Let's give like the boy and the widow, completely without any conditions, without any strings attached. Say, God, here it is. I'm not looking for, like, for my name on a plaque. I'm not looking that this goes this way or that way. And it better go here. And I better get a return. In a week, I expect a hundredfold. Just a check in the mail, God. That we would just give to him because he allows us to because he allows us to be a participant in his glory. How great is that? And I believe as we do, we're going to have testimony after testimony after testimony coming forward of God making a way financially for us. Showing off. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity that we have, that you have given us to be participants in your glory. God, we're not asking for glory. We're just asking to be participants of it. Lord, I pray, Jesus, right now for those that are struggling financially, that are hearing this and going, it sounds great, but I don't even know where to start because the bills are piling up and nothing is coming in. Lord, I pray right now, Jesus, for all those in here, those watching online, who are walking in those circumstances. And God, I pray that you would take their five loaves and their two fish and you would multiply it in Jesus' name. God, that they are going to have opportunities and money come in from places that they never expected, Jesus. And you're going to make a way. It, it won't be our way. It won't be what we see in our mind, God. We just, we just surrender that right now. But God, you have a plan. Make a way financially for those struggling in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would make it clear on everybody's heart in here, God, even right now in this moment, for those that haven't been giving, Put that figure on their heart. 
and let them be obedient to that, Jesus, whatever it might be. God, put that number on their heart, make it clear so that there can be no doubt. God, I pray as a church, Lord, that we would be givers so we can do things like Beam and do food drives and do events in the community that draw people in, Father, to your kingdom, Lord, that bring people in, Father, who are gonna know you, God, that's what this is about. It's about our heart. It's about trusting you, but it's also about souls that need to be won. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do today with the tithes and the offerings that are brought forth, but what you're going to do tomorrow and the next day, God. And we just speak right now, Lord, that as we give you our two fish and our five loaves, Lord, that you are going to feed a multitude, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, that there are going to be basketfuls left over. God, that you see our gifts. And it's again, it's not about how much, but it's about our heart. You see it, God. And so we say, do with it what you will. And thank you, Lord, that we can entrust you with these things. And you are faithful, God, to see us through. You are Jehovah Jireh, our, our provider. Go above and beyond, Lord. Go above and beyond. In Jesus' name.